next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, counselor at Beachwood High School, and I'm here with Joel Ford, counselor at Connor High School. We're also here with Mike Piergowski, our producer. Hello, Mike. We all took the ACT or SAT to get into college. So after taping, we're going to compare. We did this before the episode. We're going to compare scores to see which of us is the most successful solely based on our composite scores. Spoiler alert. I'm the least intelligent person in this room right now. Well, second spoiler alert, while you weren't in the room, we compared SAT scores. So I'm still the least. You're you're doubly. (laughs) Yeah, no. Trust me, I'm still... I'm still the least intelligent so, person in this room. So we've got a good topic for today's episode. Um, I think it's one of the most important we've covered so far here on Get Schooled. So Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today? Sure. Uh, I This episode, in my mind, got better and better the more we prepared, to be honest with you. Uh, on this episode, we'll be talking about the ever-growing world of test-optional admissions. What is it? Is it a fad or a trend? Can you predict the future of student success without an ACT or an SAT score. But first, you know I don't watch the news. It's true. Why don't you tell us what has been going on recently in the college admissions world? So it's time for everyone's favorite news wrap-up game, Cano or Go. Oh, yeah. Chris, I'm going to give you a headline. You tell me whether you want to know more about it, which would be Cano, or simply go on to the next headline. Sound good? Go on. All right, so here is our first headline. New information site for federal aid. Go. So apparently the U.S. Department of Education has rolled out a new website for information on no, federal No, not Cano. Aw. Go. Oh. Well, here's the one thing I want to say with this one, and then we'll move on. All right, all right, fair enough. Apparently there's a new number called one 800 aid I thought that number already exists. That's not new. <laughs> so, I don't know what new website or new phone number we have, but now I just want to call and see. Wait, if is it, was it one? You sure it's not one eight eight eight? No, it's, Fed Aid. It's, it's still one eight hundred. It's still one eight hundred four. The number Fed four. Aid. Yeah. Fed Aid. Right. So anyway, yeah. all, right. all right. Number two. Lehigh emails congratulations to applicants not admitted. I want to know about this. So um, Lehigh University. Accidentally, accidentally, emailed congratulations to 137 applicants who were not admitted. Within a few hours, Lehigh realized the mistake and apologized to the students. Quote, receiving the erroneous email after the disappointment of our decision must have brought confusion, frustration, and perhaps anger, for which I again apologize, said Bruce Bunnick, director of admissions in the email. You deserve better, and we will work harder to eliminate the human error that led to this mistake. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this happens every year. Yep. We, we hear about these things every year. And, and yeah, there's the accidental stuff, and then there's the, the whole, like, oh, by the way, we can't take you. Uh, oh, I forget exactly which one that was. But uh, it's, like, te- in Texas somewhere. I'm not sure. The, the whole admissions process is stressful enough Yeah. without having something like this happen. Well, um, there's a lot of emotion involved, too. So Lehigh's not easy to get into. So for a lot of students, that probably was one of their top schools. And then they get the congratulations letter. And then they get the erroneous error. 
I mean, what do you do and apologize? I mean, I don't, I don't know what Lehigh does after that, but it really stinks. Be careful, people. I just wonder if you can fit in an extra 137 people into your incoming freshman class. Well, know. that's another thought, too. Yeah. All right, headline number three, Varsity Blues Online. Georgetown University parent paid $9,000 for stand-in to take courses for her son. Oh, go on. I'm tired of the college admission scam. All right. Well, just know that with this article, they're talking about that there also was um, a part of it where people were standing in for students taking online courses. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Number four, this is why Canadian universities don't have college admission scandals. Okay, I want to know. Okay. So, one, um, this article really just kind of looks at what it takes to get into Canadian colleges. Um, And so, um, basically, um, surveys of Canadian parents and students, um, the, the mentality is, let them, and there's actually a quote in here, let them go to the local school. They're all kind of good. So instead of this whole system of like who's better and who ranks better, uh, this article just talks about um, that the, the, the gap between the, quote, most prestigious and the least prestigious university in Canada is much smaller. So there's okay. a lot less gamesmanship. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. ACT and SAT is not a, not a factor. Um, you know, um, most of them, they just look at GPA and strength of schedule and things like that. Great so point almost like test optional situations. Almost like test not needed. Right. Like that's, um, okay. You know, um, so really it's going to kind of lead into what we're talking about today. Our test scores, really, do they even really matter? Gotcha. Um, and in Canadian universities, it seems like. Um, and the frenzy is not there. Right. In Canada. Right. Compared to, you know, like the status do they have a, a U.S. News and World Report sort of thing you, that, that kind of contributes to that that frenzy at all? Well, no. If, if there is a ranking system, I don't think, from what I read in this article, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Gotcha. And most people um, that were quoted, they don't really even care about that stuff. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. All right. And then our last one, seven new online education trends. Yeah, let's, let's do that real quick. Okay. So this is actually a, an older article that I from earlier in 2019, um, and it surveyed 400 college administrators and about 1,500 students. Um, and some of the things, um, trends that they noted, one, 68% of school administrators report that marketing and meeting recruitment goals are currently their biggest challenge when offering new online programs. Two, just because students are enrolled in an online education program doesn't mean they aren't on campus. 46% of online students say that they visited campus. Um, Three, students say they think online education programs are high quality. 77% said the quality of online education is better than or equal to on-campus options. 88% say their degrees have or will have a positive ROI, return on investment. Four, um, 99% of school administrators said demand for online education is either increasing or stayed the same. Yep. Um, five online programs uh, will have to provide targeted support for students and faculty. This could be a challenge as online students come from a variety of backgrounds and stages of life. Um, six, 20% of online alumni in this year's survey say unexpected personal events were a major roadblock to graduation. Um, and seven, students' personal obligations, half of those surveyed are employed, 59% have children, um, so their personal obligations continue to influence their decision to enroll in an online program. 
convenience and flexibility are their top reasons for studying online. And 47% said their existing work and family commitments don't allow for campus-based attendance. Do you think we should do this as a future episode? Probably. I do too, because I think that online education is probably a higher quality than people realize. I've had a few classes in the very beginnings in my graduate program. My hardest online, and and my hardest one was an online class. Mm -hmm. And I I still feel like, even though I don't use that content a lot in my day-to-day, it was a domestic abuse class. Um, I think I remember more from that class than a lot of other classes I've had. Well, and I think it would be interesting to talk to people on the college admission side, because I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not speaking correctly for you, but, you know, we're used to college reps coming and seeing us, talking to kids, talking about registering for housing and registering for meal plans and all this stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. But I'd be curious what, what kind of actions they're taking to recruit potential online students um, and how much focus in their admissions office is placed on recruiting those students. You also have the entire factor of revenue for the universities. Mm-hmm. So let's do this episode sometime soon. Sometime. That'll All be, right. That'll be good. So with that, that's this episode's Cano or Go. Um, Chris? There is a lot to uncover with test optional admissions. So let's take a break and we'll get back to it. Sounds good. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Today we're going to discuss the seemingly increasing trend of colleges moving toward a test optional admissions policy. Chris, why don't you get us started by explaining for the listeners exactly what test optional is. Let me start by saying that NACAC conducted a study in the spring of of 2018 that, as they love to say, took a deep dive into test optional policies. Uh, I'm pretty geeked out about what they did, but, but first... I need to tell everyone as quickly as possible uh, about six, yes, six types of test optional policies. And then before I do that, uh, we discussed this offline a little bit earlier. Every year, the members of NACAC, college admissions counselors, high school, high school professionals, really want want the organization to, to do research and to, and to sometimes I think they want us to, to regulate a college board and an ACT, which, which isn't realistic, but um, it's always an issue. Mm-hmm. Testing for college admissions is always an issue. Um, even the prior research was, was a NACAC commission on the use of standardized tests in 2008. And before that, before I was a member, I, I probably more times. Mm-hmm. But it's always, you know this, it's always always an issue. So here we go. One, uh, it's a popular type. It's simply optional for all. And that's just what it sounds like. You have a choice to submit scores or not to, no matter what. And if you're homeschooled or international, you still might have to do this. But that, that would still be in the category of optional for all. Okay. Two, optional plus. Non-submitters, and I I guess that's self-explanatory, non-submitters could elect not to send test scores. But 
If you don't send your test score, the college will want you to have an additional essay, conduct an interview, add non-cognitive tests or cognitive tests, a graded papers, anything the university asks for. So yeah, it's test optional, but it is optional plus. And I think Transylvania is in this category in Kentucky. Kentucky. Uh, Transy will want you to do another essay. No big deal. But you do have to do an additional essay if you don't send your... So so basically it's, we don't need to see your test scores, but we want to see something else. Sure. In lieu of those. Yeah, and we'll get into this, but but the whole whole point of all of this is how am I going to put the right students in my my class, in my school, and how are they going to be successful? Mm -hmm. Uh, Third is optional for some, just what it sounds like. Like, let's say you want a scholarship. I mean, don't we all? you'd be required to send scores. Or maybe the nursing or engineering program would still require scores. Or maybe if you're from Kentucky, they're gonna to wanna to see scores, who knows? Mm-hmm. But, but there's a, some people have to send them, some people don't. It's uh, lots of limitations. Uh, I, might, I might start calling this uh, optional for most. I'm not, I'm not sure. Because if you want a scholarship and you have to have your score for a scholarship, then why, why wouldn't you? Uh, send your score unless you have enough, you know, unless you don't want to, I guess. The fourth is an interesting one. It's called academic threshold. That means if you meet a certain score standard, like a a certain GPA, then you don't need to send a test score. You might see this at some public institutions with assured or guaranteed admissions. I think Texas schools might have this. Meet the GPA and you're in. No test scores needed. Whatever the threshold is, you meet the threshold, you don't send test scores. Okay. And, and uh, fifth, test flexible would be an option to send different types of scores instead of those big two. Maybe it's an AP or IB score, SAT twos, something else. But as of 2018, approximately 1% of schools had this policy. But you know, for, for us talking about it and our listeners, that is a type of... So we don't want to see test scores, but we really kind of do. Right, but we doesn't have to be those right. test scores. But we want to see something. Show us something. Right. Okay. So far, uh, students have the option of sending scores. Like all five of these right. students have the option of sending scores. But there is a sixth, which is test blind, which means that test scores are not considered at all, no matter what. I thought in our research there would be lots of schools and I was Googling things and trying to find all the test blind schools and I couldn't find lists of test blind schools really. And, and I found out that, that Hampshire College moved to test blind in 2015, which, on, which inevitably really kind of messed up their ratings in US News and World Report. So in my mind, like good for them. Right. But I found out eventually through the NACAC research that fewer than 1% of schools have a, a true test blind policy. Well, and, and I just want to briefly put in here because I've actually talked to a couple of schools about this because I'd always wondered. So, for instance, at my school, we list test scores on the transcript. So I'm thinking, so if a student wants to go test optional, test blind, whatever, but it's on the transcript, is there a danger of somebody seeing it anyway? And what I learned is that for a lot of schools, the people who process the paperwork will automatically black out those test scores or they won't put them into the enrollment management system that the college uses. So then when the people who are making admissions decisions see the paperwork, 
then they don't see those scores. I think that's probably the case most of the time. I right. think there probably is very little risk. I don't know if that makes the families like our promise of that makes the family right. make, makes families any more like at ease. Right. But I did want that. to mention that just no the, from having I those think, conversations. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand like the steps once the application hits the admissions office. It's just that transcript doesn't just land on the desk of the director of admissions who will then scoff at your test score. Right. You know, it goes into a processing, it gets put in a format that is the same format for all of the reviews. And in that process, what you're saying is, right. yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what, what would happen. Uh, what, so, okay, here I, I listed the, the six types. Mm-hmm. What can help me out with your insights, thoughts, concerns, anything. So the first thing, the first reaction I had, um, to be honest, it was similar to what I think about the admissions process itself. Too many options. Um, while I understand the point of the different options, you know, the first thing that struck me was I was thinking in terms of the families and students, especially those who've never gone through the admissions process. Um, and so now we have multiple admissions options. We have rolling admissions. We have um, early action, early decision, early decision to restrictive early action. And now we're adding multiple test optional options, you know. And so now my question is, how is the average person supposed to keep up with all of it? Like, how are you supposed to understand it? Um, we do this for a living, and it can be confusing for us. I don't, yeah, I don't, think you, I don't think you do. I mean, I started teaching a lesson on, on primary research with juniors, simply trying to teach them, like, you, you have to go to the website of every school every year mm-hmm. it's because everything changes. We'll see that, uh, you know, we see that all of the time. It's, it's, uh, this is that the complexity of college admissions is something that the high school folks and, and probably the college folks do, to be honest, have, have been like yelling about for right. a long time. And at NACAC lately, they have been yelling about that uh, and deservedly so because, it's just too darn confusing. Well, and to go along with that, you know, when, when I was doing some research for this episode, I actually read an article in Inside Higher Ed um, that was back in the spring that said that the current pace of schools announcing new test optional policies is about one every 10 days. Right. So, you know, every week to two weeks, we're adding or, or we have a school that's changing their admissions policy. So if you're a student or a parent, that list is ever evolving and changing and the the rules of engagement from one week to the next weekly are changing. changing so how do you keep up with that so even so i was suggesting you know every august you go back and you kind of check the school's websites but you're saying that that isn't even possible right like you have to check i'm sure there are you know colleges are going to change their policies at the beginning of the cycle and so that 10 days but the announcements probably are coming right along the way right you know well, but those announcements help you plan ahead. Right. So if I'm a sophomore or junior, I've really got to start listening more than, than maybe I did in the past because I've got to know what the game is. But I think that requires even de- deeper research. I mean, it's even more complex than you're suggesting because I just told, talked to you about six types of, of optional admission, of optional test optional policies, but a college isn't going to list that. Mm. They're going to say we're now test optional. Right. So now what? So now you have to get on the website and it may not even be explained there. And if it is, then then good. But you have to go read to find out if the engineering department needs your test score. 
or if the nursing department, or if the test score matters for scholarships, or if it doesn't matter, or if you have to do an extra essay. But once that announcement comes out, it doesn't come out with that, with, with, with that answer. Right. It's just the announcement. Right. Xavier University, was the, and that kind of always prompted our episode here, which is, okay, in our area, this announcement did create some news. Mm-hmm. And you and I are like, well, you know what? I think it's time for us to hit test optional. Right. Uh, but the only news I heard... And I actually did not research this. I don't know the answer to their test optional policy. What type of test? No, I don't. I didn't. I did not look it up. Right. I'll, I'll have to with my students. But the announcement simply came that they're going test. That optional. they're going test optional, flat out. Period. Right. So, and then there was also sort of a cynical reaction that I had to all of this. Um, well, we both have those, right? <laughs> um, you know, I read some articles out there where colleges. Maybe doing, maybe moving to test optional oh. <laughs> to get an advantage in college rankings. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> um, you know, which we already we covered in one of our first episodes, our feelings on college rankings. But essentially, if a student with generally lower test scores choose, they choose to be admitted under some type of test optional policy, then they don't count in the school's test score average. Based on um, you know those students, they're look they're basically being based on higher scores that were submitted. So then they look better, quote unquote, to the average consumer because look at our average ACT our, score, how high our, it is. Our average ACT went up two points last right. year, and that's because we eliminated because in general a bunch of students. In general, students who have scores they feel are a little bit lower tend to choose the not submitting scores. Right. I know that maybe sounds silly to even say out loud, but. Mathematically, that happens, and uh, there could be some gaming. Do you think colleges ever game? Whoa, wow. There are friends now. <laughs> we have a lot of friends in colleges. I, I think, you I have think to there's do some gaming. You, how about this? You have to do what you have to do to survive. It's still a business. Right. Um, but you're in conflict with student interests sometimes, and that's, that's, where, that's where people really get, uh, really have some strong I, feelings about it. I think, and maybe this is too cynical, but if you if you spend some time on college websites and you see that the vast majority of them will put something on there about where they're ranked in US News and World Report, it, it might be bad to say, but I think there's some gamesmanship there. Well, you and, and to our to our college admissions office friends who, who do listen to this, uh, there are lots of we, we do understand that there are a lot of pressures that come from higher up. From higher up, you know. You got to meet your class, and you're told what to do, and you don't have control right. over everything. But uh, but yeah, I think that there could be an advantage just in that sense mm-hmm. by going by going test optional. But I don't think that's that. I don't think personally, I don't think that's the, the number one reason, or even the number ten reason. Right, cynical person. Well, and I bet you know we're going to have our interview here in a little bit. Um, I w- I would bet money that um, the person in the school that that are going to be in our interview, that was that will not their, come up. That is not their motivation. And I and, and, and I and I can guarantee you by the end of that, we will not feel that that's just something that was avoided either. Right. I don't I don't think that's part of it. Right. I don't think that's part of it. Uh, but you we can be cynical sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Keeps us keeps us safe. So so if it's not gamesmanship, let's talk a little bit about maybe some reasons why. Um, colleges are going to test. Yeah, on. so I wanted to run down kind of the executive summary of, of NACAC's research, and, and it kind of talks about kind of the reasonings behind it, and then maybe and then maybe what happened at the colleges and what the results were in this in this research. Uh, so, so the first issue is that did it 
we'll pose this kind of in sets of questions, but, but do test optional policies encourage more students to apply? The research showed that, that it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have some comments on this, right? Yeah. So when we were at the NACAC conference, national conference in Louisville, um, and I, I could not remember who it was that we spoke with, but he was pretty high up in the food chain. Um, I, I want to say like VP level. Okay. Okay. Um, and he pretty much confirmed this with us. Um, he s- said, you know, in their studies and, and their preparation for going test optional this year, that they saw that students will self-select uh, whether or not to apply to a school when they see a middle 50% average. Um, and in many cases, they'll automatically rule themselves out based on that alone. Um, so they found in their research that with going test optional, students are more willing to apply and then be considered for possible scholarships or other financial aid. I mean, that's a really student-centered approach mm-hmm. to, to test optional admissions. And I think I've worked with students for years, you've worked for students for years. I guarantee he's right about that. Mm-hmm. Students see the published middle 50% and will choose not to even apply to that school. Which is, which is funny because automatically 50% of students are going to be lower than that average. No, but the kids don't. Real, see, the, the, kids don't the kids don't see themselves. Yeah, but then they think, "What are their chances?" Right. You know, if I'm in that bottom twenty-five percent, and I'm below that, you know, do I fit in? Right. That sort of thing. So they they, I mean, you work with students. They're smart. They don't they don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. They just think, no, middle fifty is a is a is a you know twenty-six to to thirty, and I have a twenty-five. I'll find it. I'll find another school. Right. Uh, in this case, the, uh, this would be less self-selecting, making it open. I think they've found the case. So I would contend that this, the groups of students who would be more likely to self-select, to not apply somewhere, and and the group of students I think colleges would like to attract and, and promote to apply to their schools by using test optional policies would be first-generation students, low socioeconomic students, and underrepresented race students. Uh, so, so the question is, does a test optional policy help institutions enroll traditionally, more traditionally, uh, underrepresented race and low SES students? So uh, for the majority of the institutions that were looked at, yes. Almost all institutions saw a rise in applications uh, from underrepresented populations after test optional was instituted. Okay. Two-thirds of them saw that rise correspond uh, to underrepresented population enrollment growth above that that was seen by a matched um, test required institution. Um, half experienced Pell enrollment growth above a comparable test required. Okay, so the research is comparing test required schools to test optional right. schools, and they saw more enrollment more growth. growth. In, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. So does the test optional um, school or program policy negatively impact the pattern seen in admissions from selectivity to enrollment rates. Okay, so we're talking. So this question is 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 kind of diving into um, does the school seem less selective, and just anybody can just show up and I don't need to send a score and, and the quality of the student right drop right. Well, based on based on this research, the answer was no. Did not, did not. Um, all the institutions that provided consecutive cohort years, uh, pre-policy to post-policy, meaning 
pre-test optional to post-test optional, saw an overall application growth. Uh, and all but one saw an underrepresented race growth. And, and a few institutions even saw an increase in selectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so the, point, the point we're trying to get at here is that can you have selectivity? And by selectivity, I mean like really awesome students without having test scores and a really awesome diverse student population mm-hmm. without having test scores. And I, and I think this research is leaning toward, as we continue here, leaning toward, yes, you, you can have a school. Sure like that uh, question uh, from the research. So do, do non-submitters and submitters, uh, submitters exhibit different funnel patterns? And so f- based on the research that was done, the answer is yes. Um, non-submitters are admitted at lower rates, but they enroll at significantly higher rates than submitters. Um, and they also go on to graduate at rates equivalent to submitters. So the funnel, quick summary of the funnel, most of you maybe know this, the funnel goes from a student demonstrating interest all the way to applying, to getting accepted, to deciding to, to deciding to go. So at the beginning of the funnel, we're getting lots more applications. The non-submitters are getting admitted uh, at lower rates, uh, but there are more applications. Mm-hmm. And they are getting um, enrolling, so they are choosing to go. And colleges want that. Right. Colleges want students who will attend. They want to admit someone that they know is, that they is, know will come. The non-submitters have been more likely to attend. It's like, hey, this school wants me, and again, I'm a pretty awesome student. Maybe my test score is not what I want it to be, or not comparable to what historically that school would want. Uh, but I'm going to go, and then once they're there, key point: once they're there. They are graduating at equivalent rates to people who submitted scores. So once I get in and I matriculate there, there are going to be supports in place that that pretty much are going to allow me to be as successful as somebody who submitted a test score. Absolutely. Once once you're in, who cares what your score was? Right. It obviously, it's not showing that it matters right. what your score was. So who were the non-submitters of testing? Let's see, is in the 2014 Defining Promise study, underrepresented minorities, first-generation students, women, and Pell Grant recipients are more, longly, are more strongly represented among non-submitters. Uh, black African-Americans chose to be non-submitters at higher rates than other racial ethnic groups. And we could probably spend a whole episode on why those particular groups are non-submitters and inherent bias and testing and all those issues that go with that. Right. Um, I mean, that would be a whole episode. Right. So if colleges want an awesome, diverse student body, maybe a test optional policy is is going to lead to that. Because going back to the question before, isn't it weird? These people are graduating at the same rates Mm -hmm. as people who submitted scores. And then, so, so the next question would be, does, does adopting a test optional policy lower the academic quality of uh, the student body? And in a single word, no. Okay. Um, applicant average uh, high school grades and SAT scores actually increased from pre-policy to post-policy at all but one of the studied institutions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, How do the academic outcomes compare with those of defining promise? 
which was a 2004 survey about the same topic. Okay, again, back to how are students doing mm-hmm. once they're in? Because you know, picture picture the room. I don't think the room is like this, but picture the room where people are discussing whether or not they should be test optional, and, and people who haven't done their research could be saying, "We can't do this. If we let these people in, are they're not going to do well? They won't do well here. They simply won't do well here." And and uh, in short, non-submitters performed quite well in both studies. Uh, while their first year, their college first year GPAs and cumulative GPAs were marginally, marginally lower than submitters, both this study and the 2014 study confirmed they graduated at rates equivalent or slightly above submitters. Fine. Maybe, maybe the GPAs are, and we don't have time in a podcast like this to get into, and, and, and I don't understand uh, some of, the, some of the, the numbers quite as much as an expert in, in, in research, but, okay, maybe the GPAs are slightly lower. But if they're graduating at the same rates or better, like, who cares? They're getting the degree. Who cares? I know. Yeah. Uh, under test optional, how well did the high school GPA correlate with college success because, and before you answer this, Joel, because that's the key, that, that, that's probably the number one thing you're looking at, mm-hmm. right? Once once you once you make it test optional and, and you have a non-submitter. Um, so now we're looking at GPA and strength. So strength. how, I'll repeat the question, how well did the high school GPA correlate with college success? So based on the research, high school GPA actually had a strong positive linear correlation with college uh, cumulative GPA, All right. and it was a stronger relationship with both GPA and graduation rate than the test scores were. Okay, uh, the test scores showed stronger correlation with submitter outcomes um, than non-submitter outcomes, but um, they also had a very strong correlation with EFC. Uh, we've known that, right? You know, your your EFC your, sometimes can pretty much correlate how how high your test score can be. Right. And so just as a reminder, that EFC number, your estimated family contribution, is that number that the government calculates when you complete your FAFSA that says this is how much, according to our government formula, your household is expected to be able to pay uh, for college. So generally lower EFC students are more likely to get uh, federal and state grant aid, Pell Grants, college access grants here in Kentucky, that sort of thing. Uh, so bottom line, GPA is a better measure right. of college. High school GPA is a better measure of college GPA than test scores are. Which when we talked to the gentleman from Xavier, he basically told us that flat out yeah. in their research. Yeah. So then our final question, do test optional policies place greater financial aid demands on the institution? Well, here's here's here, this is an issue. Um, so the data it's limited in drawing conclusions, I think, because there, there aren't that many schools, but, but the findings suggest yes. Uh, High-need students choose to be non-submitters at higher rates. So uh, gift aid per capita will increase pre- to post-policy adoption. So if a school is going to move to a test-optional policy, they clearly will have to address the financial needs of the students uh, who, who they will now be admitting when maybe previously they wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be admitting. So, so that is something to think about. 
if you're a college, is, you know, if we're going to have this loss of income, basically, where do we... Where right, we, because where the higher that up. because the higher the higher EFC kids will have the higher test scores. Right, and in the past, those kids would be the ones who would be admitted, and who would go. And if you have non-submitters from you know lower socioeconomic backgrounds, they have a, a lower EFC, they've got higher need. Uh, how do you afford that? Right, and that is, I mean, that's therein lies a magic question. If you work for a university, probably, how do you have that student body you you want to have? And that's where I don't think the gaming is all there. I think it's this is part of the problem too, right. which is the reality of business and how you get enough people to pay, but then also still have people who you know where you would you know, have have a have a chance to change the arc of their life and their background and history that sort of thing. Right. So I guess the the last question I'm left with, and, and I think this question going through this episode's kind of changed for me. Okay. Uh, originally, the question was, why is there still such a push toward test scores from, from the population? Why is there so much pressure on oh, students? Yeah. Yeah, right. Why are parents still so hung up on what their child's scores are? But I think my question now is more, at what point does the pendulum swing the other way, where now test scores are no longer the be-all, end-all, I have to have this score, because so many schools are, are now moving to test optional yeah i that's 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 a great question i i think the argument well a couple of things uh but I, I think the argument is is kind of like okay you've got you've got this this like this long tradition of testing everything's in the same in the same day the same environment that sort of thing and people feel like that's a standardized method mm-hmm. um, and i think there's some truth to okay when when I went to school, we had to have test scores, you know. And so I think just educating parents that I know a lot of times I'll bring up test optional in conversation and parents don't even realize that's a thing. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like there's like 1,100 schools. Right. Like a quarter of all colleges are now like test optional. Right. But they're just uninformed. Yeah. Right. Know? So, um, you know, here's what I think. At this point, I think we need to get somebody on here that – really knows about test optional from the college perspective. So I think we have that person, it, actually. <laughs> so, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk more specifically about test optional from the college perspective. I'm excited to hear what he's yeah. got to say. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Many times so far on the podcast, Joel, I've been the one introducing our guests, but why don't, why don't you take this one? I'd be happy to do so. So today on the official Get Schooled FaceTime iPhone call line, uh, we have, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds official, doesn't That's it? That's awesome. We have Dr. Christopher Gage, Vice President for Strategy and Enrollment at Hanover College in Indiana, Indiana's first private college or university, by the way. Yes, sir. Uh, where he's been since July 2005. Uh, he started as an Assistant Director of Admissions and has worked his way up to his current position. Uh, he has a Bachelor of Science degree in Marketing from the Indiana University Kelly School of Business, an MBA with a Marketing Concentration from the Xavier University Williams College of Business, and his PhD in Educational Leadership and Higher Education from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So obviously he is much more intelligent than either of us put together. Easy. Uh, he also served as President of the Indiana 
Association for College Admission Counseling during the same period that I served as president of Kentucky ACAC. Uh, so I'm very grateful that I've gotten to know him through our president's class. Um, and I'm really excited to have him on because Hanover has been test optional for several years. And so I think Chris is going to be able to explain to us uh, from the college perspective, the reasoning and the process behind moving to test optional admissions. So uh, Chris, welcome to Get Schooled and thanks for being on the podcast with us. Um, it, it's, I'm super excited to be with you guys. Um, love the podcast and ready to dive into this topic with you. All right. So you want to, Chris, you want to go for the first question? Yeah, well, sure. yeah, it's a simple, simple one. Uh, when, when did Hanover, oh yeah, we say Chris, we have to like maybe. Mr. Reeves. There we go. <laughs> when, 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 Chris, when did Hanover become test optional? This is our third admission cycle as a test optional institution. Cool. And then, so we've talked about these six types of, of test optional earlier. Uh, what, what type of test optional fits Hanover? Well, Hanover is a test optional institution in the truest sense of, of the term. So any student, any domestic student, I should preface that, international students still have to submit a TOEFL or some sort of English proficiency test results. Um, so any domestic student can apply test optional. And when I say test optional, we literally black out their test scores when the student's transcript comes into our system, so we actually do not see the student's test records if they are listed on the transcript. Um, and, and the first two cycles were test optional in that sense, and, and we did add non-cognitive questions to the, the process this year to give us a better indication of the student's um, level of interest with Hanover um, some some people might refer to that as um, an added kind of barrier or hurdle to the admission process, but we looked at it as more of a, we wanted to, to really better assess a student's level of interest or demonstrated interest as it's referred to in, in our world um, on, on their application to Hanover. So if they did not submit test scores, you want to see, you ask a couple extra questions? Yeah, we asked them um, six short questions where they have to respond to those questions in less than 100 words. So while six questions might sound like a lot, um, it's all totaled of less than 600 words. And the questions are really based in um, research by a gentleman named William Sedlicek out of the University of Maryland who's done quite a bit of research and often cited as someone who... Um, um, is an expert in the realm of non-cognitive questionnaires, uh, test optional admissions. And we grounded those, our, our questions, in his research. And so we asked students about their leadership experience, their academic interests, their goal-setting experience, what kind of support mechanisms they have um, in place so that we can better assess uh, the student's long-term ability to be successful at Hanover. But that's only for students who don't submit test scores? Okay. That's, that's correct. So, so the students who submit test scores, if they want to submit their SAT or ACT, if they feel like that is a, a representation of their academic abilities, uh, they do not have to answer those questions. Only the students who, who are going test optional. So, you know, here's something kind of interesting. This is a little side note. 
But I think people don't realize how much time and effort a college, for example, might put into even what questions they're putting on their application. Like you're talking about doing research and, and these are the reasons behind these questions. I think sometimes people maybe give you a bad rap on maybe what's in an application and not just you all, of course, but, but anywhere in the, in the profession. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, the, so with, with the, um, with the test optional process, this actually goes back to my, my dissertation and the research that I was doing with the university of Nebraska. Um, I, I studied a number of institutions who were test optional and, and followed a similar sort of, of process. Oregon state university is a great example. They have a process where someone who is test optional, they can, um, go through a, a process, I believe it's called the Insight Resume, and again, work that is grounded in, in William Sedlicek's research. And um, institutions will say that we want to give students an opportunity to apply test optional when they feel that their scores on an SAT or ACT are not representative of their ability. But these questions can prompt a student to provide Kind of a window into a student's lived experiences beyond what a three-hour exam is going to offer an admissions committee so when we ask somebody about their leadership experience or about goal setting that gives us a, a chance to really assess how well somebody is prepared to deal with challenges that they're going to face in college that maybe they haven't had to face in high school and can give us a sense of how well they are prepared to deal with um, new challenges that they probably have not thought about when they when they think about going away to college. Can you take us back to the beginning for you as far as when Hanover began this? Because what I'm what I'm so what what I think I hear is that you had done dissertation and research and maybe perhaps that was before Hanover became test optional. Absolutely. Okay. So, so, and as, you know, as much as you're able to provide, and I think I know where you're going with this question, who, who's in the room and how does that conversation, like, like what's the early conversations for Hanover like? What are the pros and cons? What are, what are you guys, um, just, just tell us about those early discussions. Yeah, so I think for Hanover, this goes back to probably 2015. Okay. And again, we did not we did not implement the the official policy until the fall of seventeen for our admissions process. So going back to twenty fifteen, started having conversations with the then vice president of enrollment management, the president of the institution, cabinet members, so other vice presidents, and certainly faculty councils. Uh, I think it's critically important at any institution, and certainly at a small institution where there's a, uh, a very well understood level of shared governance, that you have to involve as many constituents as possible, uh, and, and critically for Hanover, involving the faculty in that process was, was something that we wanted to make sure we had done our due diligence and provided information from the research community but also from other peer and aspirant institutions who had gone through this process. And certainly if anybody is on the, the listservs, you'll, you'll, you see those messages on a regular basis from FairTest about how many institutions are, are going test optional, how many oh, yeah. have done right. 
in the last couple of years, and it always seems that it's a it's a growing list every summer, and now it almost bleeds into the full academic year when, when institutions are making these announcements. It's not just reserved to the summer months anymore. And I think that at the time that Hanover had made its decision, there were maybe about 900 or so institutions across the country that were test optional in some form or fashion. And now there's probably close to 1,100. And I, I certainly think it's gonna be a trend that continues to proliferate as institutions realize that the SAT and or the ACT are probably not the best measure for academic success. And they have to figure out what academic success means at their institution. Sure. And we had done the research here at Hanover to realize that the student's high school GPA in conjunction with their high school curriculum, which is a critical factor for us. So we looked at curriculums, we scored high schools, we, we looked at, did a student take advantage of the full array of advanced courses available at their high school? Mm-hmm. Um, and Preach and it. <laughs> that, that the test score wasn't going to be a rate-limiting factor for, for someone's admission to Hanover. So, for example, if somebody is coming from an under-resourced rural high school, uh, maybe they don't have all the access to the counseling that they might need to act to to adequately prepare for an SAT or an ACT, but maybe they've gone well above and beyond what's available with their course curriculum. Maybe they're doing dual enrollment or dual credit classes at a local community cup. So that's somebody who's clearly gone above and beyond, and we did not want to to limit their admission based on a test score. So you go to test optional. Um, could you maybe discuss some of the immediate impacts? Uh, but... <laughs> um, the very first cycle that, that Hanover was test optional, uh, we actually saw a huge increase in, in the number of applications and admitted students who were coming through the test optional process. and. And just to give some percentages, I think nationally, when an institution goes test optional, a four-year public or private um, institution goes test optional, you might see an uptick of about 20, 25% in your applicant pool. Hanover saw a 48% increase um, in test optional applicants. So the numbers were, were a lot larger than what we were expecting and a lot of institutions will often cite the the increase in underrepresented student populations whether that's racial and ethnic mm-hmm. representation but also lower ses representation and we did see similar increases in those numbers but not to the same level of 48 49 but but still the numbers were significantly larger than what we had anticipated Last year, in the 2018-2019 admission cycle, we, we dropped back down to a level that was more social averages. So we were about 24% of our admissions funnel um, coming through the test optional process. And that number has even come down a little more this year. And I think that is a direct result of the non-cognitive questions that we, we decided to uh, include in the process this year. So uh, when we removed that barrier, the test score barrier, 
in the admission process. It obviously allows for um, an influx of applications. So it's, it, it's a lot easier for students to apply, right? I mean, especially if you're a common app, you don't have to submit any test scores. Basically, all you have to do is send in a transcript, letter of recommendation from a counselor, and a personal statement. Um, with the added barrier of the non-cognitive questions, again, that was, that was put in place to um, better assess the student's level of demonstrated interest. So the very first cycle, huge numbers, and it's, it's kind of been a stair step down Sure. Uh, or current cycle. Did you did you have any growing pains with uh, like first year retention rates or anything like that? When when did, so like that first again, year? That first that first class, we actually did see our retention numbers drop. They dropped about uh, four four and a half percentage points from our typical retention. So our, our typical retention on first year to second year is eighty two percent, and we dropped. Um, from first year to second year, about four, four and a half percent. Um, we did see over the last two years the numbers increase. So yeah. last year our, our numbers went back up. Um, we went back up three and a half percent. And with the, um, we've been, I would say, a little bit more, we, we've added a level of scrutiny to the test optional Right. Um, does that I would say two years ago we did not have, and I think that's just learning pains of yeah, that. for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's almost an right. argument for um, schools who do still use a test or finding another way, like the cognitive questioning, to to just yeah. kind of further dig in a little bit to to that yeah. to that student, so you don't throw it completely out. Uh, yeah. So we did uh, going back a couple of years ago when we went test optional and really didn't have any sort of other assessments for for these students. We um, for our incoming students once they came to orientation, we we conducted what we called a, a grid survey. Yeah. And this is on uh, uh, Angela Duckworth Angela Duckworth's uh, research, and it, it was a it was an interesting survey because we asked some of the basic questions. There were about. 20 questions on the survey. We just wanted to get a sense of who the students are, uh, where they were coming from, what their lived experiences were, and what kind of additional resources, if they needed them, did we need to have available for the students once they arrived. And and that process was obviously on the back end of the admissions um, process because they had already, the students had already committed to enroll. And now we just wanted to kind of move that a little further up in the process. Sure. Uh, um, before making the admissions decision. So the, I'm, I'm assuming, I think I know the answer to this thought, but I just thought, you know, throw it out quickly, no no movement on Hanover's part to going back to, like like removing test optional. Am no. I, no, not at all. Just continuing to refine the things you're you're working on I right think now. It's a, I think it's an ongoing iterative process that yeah. you have to always learn from and adapt and, and Pivot is the word that we like to use in this office. We, we feel like we're constantly having to pivot. But, uh, but yes, there, there's no, no plans to change from, from the process that we have. Just try to refine it and um, making sure that we are trying to be as inclusive as we possibly can and bringing students in who can be successful at Hanover. So I had read when researching for this podcast that um, I think it was something like every 10 days a new college comes out as test optional. Okay. Um, so any thoughts on how ACT or the college board might respond 
uh, to the growing list of test optional institutions? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, to get in to get in their heads or to get in their their board meetings would be um, a really interesting uh, experiment to be a fly on a wall during those conversations. I think the the adversity score that the College Board um, tried to mm. launch, that failed launch over the summer, was an attempt to, um, uh, to, to kind of position themselves against the test optional movement. And um, I, that didn't work, I think, for the obvious reasons. But, and, and, and I, I think that we'll see additional strategies deployed by, by both College Board and ACT to, to come up with some sort of of mechanism to assess a student's level of, of uh, readiness or potential success at a four-year institution in lieu of just the, the three, three-and-a-half-hour exam, but I, I have no idea what that's going right. to be. Right, you have to find a way right. to predict that. I also have an answer to that question, and I think it's like, you know when lobbying groups, like let's say you're a cheese lobbyist, and then like you're going to do research on how valuable cheese is to you, so you're going to pay for your own researchers to go out and, and figure, you know, publish these documents and right. show how important. So I think their own research will probably be be one of, be one of the things they 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 do. But you're right. I think so. When we get down to it, kind of, we're trying to predict things. It's hard to predict. Uh, yeah. Ray, in our interview with Raymond uh, in the last podcast, he talked about I am staking my entire life on the decisions of eight, of eighteen year olds. Right. My livelihood, my whole career, right. and right. uh, and we're trying to predict how an eighteen-year-old is going to do, and I think that's what you all are doing too, trying to predict. And and also, I know for each institution how they fit within within your school, with right. the demonstrated interest and in, and in the type of person they are. It, it's funny that everybody that we've talked to, though, um, that is is supportive of test optional. And I think Chris even said it earlier, like, can you rely on one three-and-a-half-hour period on a Saturday morning to predict a student's success versus four years of high school? No, I don't see how, and, I don't see you, know, how you do it. I know, I know the other side of the argument is, okay, what's the one you know, setting where everyone's in the same circumstances and, and GPAs are different high schools and right. different curriculums and they're different environments, but on this one morning, on this one day – everyone is getting the exact same set of questions the, uh, theoretically under the exact same set of circumstances but but you know how I feel I, like I I get that I don't know how I don't know how three and a half hours determines who a kid is that's a great question yeah. well and I've I've still yet to figure out why or how a student with a say a 32 is going to be more successful than a student with a 31. And you, I mean, and you know there. Yeah, are, well, there's maybe one point more successful. Oh, come on, you know. I mean, really. Yeah, uh, man, Chris. So what's what's um, kind of wrapping up? Be a little more light with this stuff. Like, what's what's next for you? I mean, you've you've already gotten all these degrees. You're you're a doctor. You've now been on the Get School podcast. Is there anything left? <laughs> Boy, I, you know what my one of the big um, checklists on my bucket was to get on the the Get School right. Podcast. So, where do you go from here? Yeah, where do you go from here, Chris? Retirement. I don't know. This is this is the highlight of 2020 for me. It's it's already it's only January third. That's, yeah. that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think the opportunity to uh, just make sure that Hanover is 
um, a thriving institution is something that I have I have worked on for you know, the last gosh it's almost been 15 years but um, a lot of what I'm doing now focuses on strategic planning for the institution so thinking about how we can position Hanover College to be uh, an attractive institution not just 25 years from now but 50 years from now is something that the president and I think about on a regular basis and work towards as we lay out our strategic plan. Um, so I've been involved in that for about the last four and a half years and I find that work extremely awesome. rewarding. That's fantastic. And the way, that it, the way that it kind of dovetails with enrollment management is really exciting because I get to work on obviously the, the admissions and financial aid side of the house but also on student success. So, so I, I want to kind of come back to where we started with this podcast and just, I, I think we already know the answer, but just to kind of come full circle. So in your opinion, um, and we asked this question at the beginning, is the test optional uh, admissions policy a fad or do you think it's a trend that's going to continue in college admissions? Oh, no, I definitely see it as a, a trend that's only going to continue to proliferate in, in the in the years ahead. <clears throat> For those who were watching the news probably in early December when the University of California system announced that it was studying yes. whether or not... Mm-hmm. Just studying it, yeah. Uh, study, I mean, to me, that means it's a foregone conclusion that it's probably going to be announced uh, in the in the near future. And the ripple effect, certainly when University of Chicago made the announcement, that was big news. Um, but when when the, a system as large as California yes. makes that announcement, the, the, the ripple effects that are going to occur from that, uh, are, I think, are going to be pretty profound. So I think it's only going to be something that continues to grow. And as institutions think about how they can be more inclusive and welcoming to a um, a more diverse student population that's that's coming over the next decade or so. We need to think about what does what, what is our educational mission, uh, and how do we best serve and live into that mission and edu- educate students uh, going forward. So I think it's only going to be something that continues to grow. Yeah, I want to thank you tremendously for for coming on the podcast. I'll see you in February. I told you he was going to be good. Oh, we knew we knew that. As always, the best part of our podcast when someone else is talking. And you know, I look forward and I'll bring you your get school t-shirt in February. Nice. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to sport it. All right. Well, thanks for coming. All right. And uh, we'll we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Joel, let's look at this from four different lenses, just like we do in every episode. So, if you're a school counselor, how does does this world of test optional uh, policies and admissions affect you? I think there's several things to think about, actually. Uh, One, you have to keep up with or at least be able to research what policies individual schools have to which your students may be applying. Um, Also... I think you have to have a conversation with your students about whether or not they should submit test scores. And even beyond that, 
uh, maybe pick up the phone and have that conversation with your college admissions representative um, or director of admissions if you have that kind of relationship, which, frankly, you should if it's a school for which you frequently do business. <laughs> Finally, unless the college has specific numbers for entrance into their institution, guarantee nothing to your student. Okay, Give them the information, let them apply, and see what happens. Uh, but don't say, oh, I'm sure you're going to get in if you do X, Y, and Z. Um, the worst that's ever going to happen to a student is that they're going to decline at a school or, or they'll end up attending another institution, um, something along those lines. Awesome. Okay. Well said. Well said. If you're at a university, obviously you will begin with institutional goals. You'll create an admission policy that aligns with those goals. We do understand your pressures, especially in a post-DOJ college admissions world. If you don't know what that is, listen to the next episode, episode 12. Uh, as attracting and keeping students becomes even more complicated, our biggest task is to keep the students in mind by communicating clearly and creating user-friendly, easy-to-understand policies. Please, 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 please. So if you're out there and you're a parent, um, I'll be honest, I struggled a little bit with this one. And I, I was thinking about it as a parent. Um, I'm not really sure what a parent can do other than be knowledgeable about the process and support their student. Um, I can say, however, don't tell your student to apply to a school that's test optional because, quote, their ACT score is terrible. Okay? Don't say that. Don't say stuff like that All right. or some other negative commentary. Um, now, it, that's a different conversation than saying, okay, that your test score may not be the best part of your application, so let's, let's look at admissions policies that play to your strengths. Right. That's a, that's I, a better frame. I, I think that's a yeah. much better reframe than yeah. you need to apply here because your test score is terrible. Um, help them make good, realistic decisions. And always remember it's based on right fit, um, cost, all those factors that we talk about all right. every episode. Very good. If you're a student, uh, you can find out what the policy is on any school in the country at fairtest.org. And we, are, we don't sponsor anyone, and, and no, one, no one sponsors us. I'll, I can attest to that. But fairtest, F-A-I-R, test.org, uh, that's where you can see all of the policies. Here's the tough part. College admissions is complicated, and anything that adds complication makes it more difficult for you to navigate. Uh, at least this website will make this part easy for you. We also want you to know that your performance in high school, rigorous classes, and GPA is a stronger indicator of success than a test score. Just know that. I work at a school where everyone knows that test scores lead to certain scholarships and everyone talks about them constantly. But test scores will not and do not define you. And can I just briefly mention with that um, website, fairtest.org, uh, they are very good about keeping that updated. Oh, yeah. So I, it's almost real time uh, because we get emails, I, at least I know I do, from the yeah. guy who runs that website, and he's always like, here's a new school with with yeah. a new test optional policy. So It is up to date. So at least be confident that it is going to be up to date when you do that research. All right? So let's take our final break, and when we get back, Mr. Reeves is going to have his final word of wisdom.
Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. This episode's Word of Wisdom can involve all of us, both professionally and personally. Many of us guide students as part of our job. Many of us are parents hoping our kids make good choices and become happy adults with fulfilling careers. Many of us, like me, are in transition and simply looking for fulfillment in our lives and what we do. Here we go. This week's message is instead of seeking out your passions, seek out your purpose. I have so many interests personally, they change in intensity all the time, but my purpose has been clear. Find your purpose and that will not waver. As you work day to day in schools or as you provide for your family, think about your purpose. The why will be more powerful than the what. That's good stuff right there. There you go, Joel. That's good stuff. Uh, Let's see. Before we before we announce the next episode, a little shout out to one of our one of our top fans, uh, Mike James, and his son John James. Uh, Mike's a parent at Beachwood. John's a senior at Beachwood, and they listen. They listen religiously, which as well they should. Well, true. I mean, really. You want next episode, Joel? So our next episode, um, NACAC and the Department of Justice appear to be coming to a resolution with the two-year inquiry um, into the Code of Ethics of Professional Practices for NACAC. And so uh, we're going to talk next episode of what the impact of that resolution is and how the college admissions game is now changed as we knew it. Changes were made at the last national conference that affected the, the, the Code of Ethics and how colleges operate after May 1st. So um, what we knew a few months ago, it's all a new ball game. It's, all, it's, it's a lot. The changes are a lot bigger than, than the public really understands just yet. Insiders kind of know. The public doesn't. We're going to bring that to you on our next episode. Thanks so, for listening. Sounds good. We'll see you next time. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, and we are going to hit the segment we we like to we always like to do, which is I'm gonna start over. Dumbass. <laughs> that segment we always like. <laughs> segment to, we can't get right. Gonna, 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 what happened gonna, to the text? I usually read that one. <laughs> I just deleted. Well, it. You're the one that earlier was like, I like it when we don't yeah, have we don't anything even. scripted, <laughs> except I'm bad at it. <laughs>